And we are with clinical psychologist Dr. Joelle Lowe, who's here to answer your mental health questions in our free clinic session. Good morning, Dr. Joelle. Hi, good morning. All right, we received a question on our DG Lightline from Alice. She thinks she has this thing called misophonia. Mm. Have you heard about this, doctor? No, I had to furiously Google that after <laughs> I had that question. Now, she said whenever she hears the same sound continuously, right. she will start feeling very uncomfortable, mm. her heart will beat faster, and she will even get angry and sometimes a bit panicky. Mm. And even when it's raining, she starts feeling like angry and panicky and it's driving her crazy. Mm. What should she do? So, it's so any sound. A continuous sound, I guess. Okay, right, all right. right. Um, that's quite hard to do because especially when you're talking about something that um, is quite easily triggered, right? So it's, it's, it's sound of rain as well, it will trigger you, right? I think um, in terms of a psychological means of dealing with that, I think what I would suggest is some uh, a meditation exercise or mindfulness exercise, something that could pull your attention away from the senses that is disturbing you. So in this case, it's your hearing, right? So for example, doing a um, eating meditation, for example, or a tactile meditation, um, mindfulness exercise, sorry, that can be really useful. So having something on hand that you can use to engage your other senses so you can focus on those senses, that's actually a good way to distract yourself, right? That's one. Second one I would suggest is probably something a bit more mechanical. So like getting yourself a good pair of head- headphones, for example, like um, those noise-canceling ones, um, and that really knocks out the sound line, in that sense. So that can be a useful way to try and uh, block off whatever triggers you. La. The second one might not be useful for all situations because if you're driving, you can't exactly block out all sounds. Yeah. But if you can do the the mindfulness exercises with the other sens- sensations that you have, like taste, tactile, uh, olfactory, and things like that, that can be quite useful for you, la, I think. La. Ultimately, there's no real, no. Um, there's no medication. For yeah, this, correct, right? correct. So it's something that we need to learn to deal with, like, rather than uh, trying to treat it, like, in that sense. But can you give us an example of how you can distract yourself with your other senses? Yeah. So Malaysians love food, so we we'll use the food one, right? <laughs> so having a chocolate bar or a candy uh, nearby, right? So every time you you feel triggered by something, right? And this is applicable for anyone who was stressed out, for example. Uh, grab the candy, grab the chocolate bar, and. If you guys think about it, when was the last time you guys actually sat down and ate food and really experienced the food they're eating? We don't, right? Half the time we're on the phone, we're talking to people, we're just shoveling food in our mouths, right? So the next time you want to use that to distract yourself, you pop the candy or the chocolate into your mouth and really just savour it, right? The first texture, before it melts, the texture that you feel around it, the sound that it makes as it clangs against your teeth and all that. After that, as it starts melting, really experience the taste. You know how in in, in, in school last time we had that science experiment where we to swill the water around our tongue yeah, yeah. and really taste it? Do that, right? So really experience the chocolate. So that's why sometimes people say you can taste the vanilla and the chocolate and the buttery textures and all that. Half the time we don't because we bite, chew, 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 boop, we swallow, right? So really really experience the food that you're going through you're, you're eating at the moment and that can be a really good distraction right oh. really focusing on it wow so that's mindfulness yes, right yes exactly yeah. so actively disengaging yeah. Noor you have a question for Dr. Joel. how can we know that we have a personality disorder I mean like is there any checklist or something other than going to the doctor that we can do it ourselves because sometimes I do feel like do I have it? Alright, good question Nor. Um, so obviously the best way is to go to see a clinical psychologist and do a personality assessment now. The, okay. I think the reason why I say that is because with personality disorders, there's actually quite a few, right? So the most popular ones are things like this narcissistic personality disorder, bipolar, uh, sorry, not bipolar, borderline, um, antisocial personality disorder. Those are the popular ones, right? So all in mm. all, I think, if I'm not mistaken, there's about 12 or 15 of them, like, if I'm not mistaken. So it's hard mm. for you to do a self-check test on all of them. 
right? But if mm-hmm. you Google generalized personality disorder, that should give mm-hmm. you some idea that if you meet the symptoms there, then maybe it's a good chance that you have one of them, lah, right? Uh, but after okay. that, then I will encourage you to get a formal assessment for it, right? Um, mm. But practically speaking, a good way to um, gauge if you have a personality disorder, right, um, is to just ask your friends and family. Because usually that's even for clinicians as well, right? How we um, uh, our initial suspicions, our initial indications of whether it's personality disorder is how we relate to that person, how we speak to that person or interact with that person, right? Because if you mm-hmm. do have a personality disorder, the way people relate mm-hmm. to you is a bit different than other people around you, right? Mm. So that's a good indication as well. So if you have a lot of friends mm-hmm. and family saying things like, oh, sometimes you're a bit quirky or you do things a different way, then perhaps mm-hmm. it's something to look into. La. Right? That's a more practical way to uh, to gauge and see. La. All right. Thank you so much. No problem. Good luck. Aida, what's your question for Dr. Joel? It's regarding my son. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. He's 10 years old. Recently, I noticed that he has no interest to go to school and he actually said something that is I think not suitable for a 10-year-old, like he wanted to commit suicide, he wanted to run from the house because he just refused to go to school mm. and uh, he's just not a happy boy. So, um, and then recently I uh, managed to find out that he's been bullied at school mm. and mm. do you think that I should bring him to see a doctor for his psychological check or do you think it's just I need to manage the uh, Very good question, right? So I was actually going to ask whether you have you checked in with the school to see if he's been bullied or not because usually that's what happens la. when a young child has been bullied or faced some significant stressor in school that's usually how they react la. they 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 don't want to go to school they, they resist they're not happy and things like that, right? So it's good that you checked in and you find out I think if he didn't say that he wanted to commit suicide I would be significantly less worried and I would say that you can try managing on your own but the fact that he thought about it already, I will always err on the uh, side of caution. Uh, so I would suggest perhaps to bring him in to see a counsellor or a psychologist, right? And mm-hmm. just to gauge and see. Uh, so at least that way, the psychologist or counsellor can speak with him and really have a good idea of how severe the situation is like at the moment, uh, right? Um, and if it's not so severe, then great. Then we can do some home interventions, not an issue. But if it's uh, something more significant, then the psychologist or the counsellor can do something about it. Uh. So I would just uh, be safe, not sorry, uh, at this moment, uh, I think. Uh. Okay. Mm. Thank you very much, Doctor. No and I think um, I, I need to manage the bullying part as well, right? Yeah, but I think it's I think there's it's a two part uh, story to that, right? So one is you need to manage the bully. So make sure make sure the bully doesn't um, uh, harm your son uh, in any way physically, right? But I think it's also important for you to be able to empower your own son as well. So that way he learns that he can take care of himself and protect himself. Because the last thing we want is that the mom would, uh, our parents would always come and save me, right? Or the teachers always come and save me. If that's the case, if that's the lesson he learns, then he never learns to uh, defend himself or take care of himself, right? And as he grows up, that could be an issue moving forward. So you have to handle it on both sides, uh, with the school and the bully, as well as with your son as well. Thank you very much, Dr. Jo. No problem. Good luck. We received another question uh, on our DG Lightline. I have been in nine serious relationships. It all ended for different reasons, but I'm usually the one who initiates it. I feel at times they don't live up to who they say they are in the beginning of the relationship, after which I feel a great sense of regret. Mm. Is it uh, me that's the problem or do I have a very judgmental attitude? Or maybe it's 
you know, the relationship just didn't work. I'm 28 years old, male. Mm. Good question, right? So usually if it's a pattern that's repeating, it seems like it's happening right now, like nine relationships, they're all, uh, and you're instigating the uh, the breakup usually, right? Then my suspicion is that perhaps there is something, um, there's a pattern within you that's causing the relationships to fail. Not, not causing, but I think you're looking for reasons for it to fail, perhaps that's why you initiate the breakups, right? And then there's a strong sense of regret after that as well. Uh. So my suspicion is that perhaps there's something about you. Maybe there's some kind of anxiety or some kind of uh, something you're trying to fill in, I suppose, and you're trying to find the right partner to fill in, right? for example. And that's why you keep um, breaking up with people in that sense, right? Whether you're judgmental or not, perhaps, but maybe that's part of the problem as well. I'm trying to find, let's say, for example, the perfect partner. And we know that there's no perfect person out there. And maybe perhaps the reason you're finding something that is impossible to find is a defense mechanism as well. Perhaps you are worried about intimacy or things like that, right? Um, that's another point to consider so I guess uh, long story short I would suggest that perhaps maybe seeing a counsellor is a good idea to help you really understand yourself before you enter your next relationship so maybe you can break the cycle or break the patterns a little bit and hopefully you get a good relationship after this Is there such a thing as a relationship counsellor? Yeah, there's a couples therapist and things like that you can see. So that means people assume that you only see a couples therapist when you are in a in couple it, relationship, yeah. right? But that's not true as well. You see a couples therapist because they're so uh, well-versed with relationships, right? They actually can give you a lot of good advice on what to look out for, or how to understand yourself better to be a better partner, for example, and all the kind of good information. Now, in this case, I've heard this before from many <laughs> ladies who always say, if you don't love yourself first, you mm. cannot love other people, <laughs> right? Is that applicable here as yeah. well? So what I've learned over the years is that cliches exist for a reason, right? And honestly, in some, and, and to some degree, I agree with you, JD, right? Because if you don't, if you can't love yourself, right, and you feel that you're an unlovable person inherently, right, then no matter how much your partner loves you, you're going to say it's not true. It's false. They're loving me for exterior motives. They've got their own uh, ideas or they want to try to manipulate me and things like that. So no matter how much they adore you, you cannot accept it because I, I don't feel I deserve that kind of affection. So there is some element of truth to that, definitely. We're with clinical psychologist Dr. Joel Lowe, who's here to answer your mental health questions in our free clinic session today. We received a uh, question on our DG Lightline doctor. Let's just call her hometown lady. Okay. She has has a fiance. Yep. They've been together since high school, so they've been together for more than ten years. So it's mm. a long-term relationship. Yep. She knows that he loves her very much, but her problem is that she's not so sure. She still cares for him, but because she's had to sacrifice her own career goals right, to right. go back to the hometown to be with him, yep. she feels like um, he is not a risk taker and he doesn't want to sacrifice things for her but okay. she has to sacrifice a lot for him okay. Okay. Uh, that's why he has this she has this resentment issue it's building because she has to go back to the hometown for him twice already uh-huh. yeah this resentment has been building in her towards him mm. so how can she solve this that's a big problem, right? I think 10 years is a long time, right? Um, in anybody's life, right? Especially if, and by the sounds of the message, it sounds like the 10 years was lived apart, I think, because like, the, 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 the boyfriend was in the hometown and she was wherever she was, right? Yeah, or maybe she's been traveling during that time. Okay, yeah, she was yeah. working in the city before right, this. Right, okay, yeah. yeah. And I think 10 years for anyone is a long time. 10 years apart is going to be even longer in that sense, right? 
Um, and if she's starting to have that uh, whole resentment kind of thing about I have to go back, I have to give up my my dreams, my my work goals, and things like that. I think the instance you start having questions like that pop up in your mind, you really got to start considering how or where this relationship is going like in that sense, right? I'm not saying it can't happen. I think it can, right? But I think the person you fell in love with when you were in high school 10 years ago is not going to be the same person 10 years after, like, especially when you have such wildly different uh, life experiences like in that sense, right? So I think it's time really for you guys to sit down and have a really long conversation about where this is going. I think... Loving someone, caring about someone isn't the same as wanting to spend this, your life with that someone forever and getting married and having kids and stuff like that. It's not the same thing, right? Because you can have friends, best friends, for example, you love dearly, but you're never going to be romantic with them, for example. And it's not entirely impossible that your relationship right now, that's where it's headed, right? Um, it's possible. Maybe it's a distance thing. Maybe if you guys stayed together for a long period of time, then everything sparks again and then you guys fall in love again. And great, fantastic. You know, then you save the relationship. But I think at this time, it's a deciding point. You guys really need to sit down and like trash it out and see what's, where, where you guys are headed. 